I can't tell you how excited and how thankful I am to be back. Uh, I'm going to ask you to give me maybe five or six minutes here. I'm going to do some uh, paid political announcements from my perspective on a couple of things. First of all, I just, I just love being in our worship service. Don't you love our worship team? I'm not kidding you. We are so blessed because, I, I, like I say, I just go to so many different churches, and these, our teams are just primo. And did you appreciate Pastor Bill Asbell and then our young guys, Christopher and Dusty, the great job that they did? Yeah. It, it, it makes it so easy for me to be away for at least a season of time, but more importantly, to give me the confidence to be able to do what I need to do, suffer for Jesus um, in different places. And <clears throat> I know a few of you don't believe this, but really, uh, out of the, I was there for nine days and seven of them, I was actually in meetings for most of the day. So um, I know. I got pictures to prove it. But uh, enough of you feeling sorry for me, I can tell. Uh, Christopher noted that uh, the Bible series, uh, of which we're focusing on during this month, um, premiered 14.8 million total viewers. And it's History Channel's best day ever. Does that tell you something? Now, there's an old saying that goes like this, and I love it. It says, some people can grab defeat out of the jaws of victory. Um, how do you do that? Well, most people do it with their stupid attitudes, their cynical thoughts, and the way they communicate about things. Can I, just, can I just be really honest with you for a moment? Not that I would be dishonest, but I mean just shoot straight with you. I, I don't spend much time on Facebook. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one, I get tired of reading some of the stupid things that people stupidly say <laughs> Honestly, they're part of the church. Not this church sometimes, but just the church in general. I go, you're kidding me. You're representing Jesus Christ and his church. So I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook anymore. If you want to know why, that's why. Because it really kind of, it just, it just, it, it just really bothers me. Now, so we're, we're um, on, after the, the first series, it was Monday, and Trina sometimes will read me things from Facebook without telling me who said it. And I don't think Creeksiders per se said these things, but she started reading me some of these things that people said about the Bible series that are Christ followers. And that's what I mean. There are some people that can, that literally, they can, they can take the, they, they can take uh, vic- defeat and snag it from the jaws of victory. You get all of these people that are tuned in to this series and people are picking it apart, nitpicking it and saying, you know, oh man, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it again because of this and this and this. This is what I'm thinking. Churches bemoan what comes out of Hollywood all the time. Preachers preach against it. You say, I can't let my kids watch it because it comes out of Hollywood and it's so bad. So finally, somebody from Hollywood does something and steps up. And what does the church do? They go on this social media, pick, 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 pick. 
I, I actually started to write a post on Facebook. And Trina goes, oh, Terry, you better not do that. You sound like an angry man. <laughs> I said, I am. Because it really ticks me off. Yes, there, there, there's some things in there that are a little bit off. But nothing's so theological that it's going to cause anybody to stumble. And more importantly, anybody that's not a Christ follower, anybody that doesn't know the word, they're not going to be able to pick it out anyway. And I'm going, oh, please. And you know one of our values here is unity, and this is the very reason why. Not uniformity, but unity. If, if, if I am, and, and this is, listen, if I didn't, if this church wasn't, so, I, I, I don't know if I'd go to church. If I'm out there and, and this Bible series comes on, produced by some of the top people that are producing stuff in Hollywood today, and I want, read Facebook of the Christians over here that go, oh, this, 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 and the Christians over here that go, oh, it was great, it was great. I go, no wonder nobody wants to stink and go to a church. If they act like that about something, like the Bible series, what do they do when they're there? Why would I want to go? I can deal with that kind of crap stuff out in the world. <laughs> and I mean it. That's why she said, don't post what you're going to post. <laughs> People said, and this, I mean, she just, she didn't, you know, and I don't think it was any Creeksiders. If it was, she didn't tell me, but she didn't. But, you know, like people said, well, you know, they really downplayed Sodom. They didn't talk about the real sin. I go, what do you want them to show it? Because then if they would have showed it, oh, they showed too much. You see how stupid some people are? I'm sorry, but I feel this way. I said I'm going to be honest. Now, let me tell you something. A lot of people don't even know the Bible well enough to complain. Do you realize what the real sin of Sodom was? How many think it was homosexuality? Yeah, I didn't think you'd raise your hands. <laughs> but that's what every Christian thinks. If you read the Bible and you really know what the Bible says, you'll find out that that wasn't the main sin of Sodom. Ezekiel 16 says the sins were this. They had pride. Oh, you're going to love this one. They overate. <laughs> Whoops. It's not a good day to be at church, is it? See... And when I come back, I'm always ready, you know. It's like I got three weeks of being gone. Now I got a lot to say. Um, oh, the third thing was they indulged in pleasure. Oops. Fourth thing, they didn't help the needy and the poor. And the fifth thing mentioned is that they committed abominations to God. But isn't it, isn't it crazy how... Christ's followers can focus on one thing and make it their cause instead of understanding. And that's what drives me crazy, loved ones. Christians go media crazy. They pick it apart. Can't believe this, that, and the other. And, and can I just tell you, we sound like a bunch of Pharisees. And those are the very people that Jesus nuked in the New Testament. Now, I had a good conversation with a brother who's taken in stay, and he said, yeah, I noticed this. It was a good conversation, but it wasn't this kind of, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm not going to watch it, blah, blah, blah. This is what I want us to do as a church. This is from your pastor now. Can we just enjoy it? 
Can we just leverage it? Can we just share it with people and not criticize every point that may be a bit off? Can we pray that people will be transfixed by the production part and transformed by the story of God? Can we do that? Can we just be a part of the positive promotion instead of the negative backlash? Do you think that maybe people would be more interested in what the church has to say if we could not go public and viral and whatever those words are and always be so negative? And rejoice that some people of faith would stand up and do something like this? Well, that's my pastoral rant for today. Uh, This is what what I ended up posting, and it was so neutral and so whatever. Uh, This is what Trina edited, but I basically said this. And she probably saved me a lot of grief. And, you know, if you've got any emails for me, go ahead. Don't email me. Just call me and say, you know, Pastor, I think you're too angry and blah, blah, blah. But I'll take it. But uh, Paul said this in Philippians chapter 1. He said, you know what? There's some people you're telling me about these people that are preaching from selfish ambition and from vanity and all this stuff. And Paul says this wonderful thing. He says this, you know what? I'm just glad the message is going out. And that's how I feel about that. I am just glad that the message is going out. And I watched the first two episodes the other night, and yeah, I saw some things, but I go, oh, wow, oh. I'm not going to lose my salvation over it. It's not going to change my belief system. I go, thanks for doing such a quality job. Let's enjoy it. Amen? Okay. Now I'm ready to preach. Uh, Now I'm really good and angry, so I'll preach really good, I hope. I'm not angry. I'm just, I just, I just, I just, that's funny to me. Hey, we all have a story, don't we? Most families... They have beloved stories that they tell or experiences that they share throughout their life that become kind of the family folklore. Pop quiz, growing up, what was the most played game in your family or in your neighborhood? Yeah, how how many said hide and seek? Yeah, exactly. Um, I had a couple of great meetings yesterday with the campus team and with our uh, first impressions group, and I went home and had to finish up the talk. And then Isaac comes over, my grandson. This is what he likes to do with Papa, hide and seek. He gets the biggest thrill out of it. And and I just love playing hide and seek with him. Now, the, the story we're talking about through this series, it's the story of God and this fallen world, the story of the human race, your story, my story. And it really is a little bit about hiding and seeking. Robert Fulgham wrote a couple of great books a number of years ago, and in one of them, he wrote this. He said, in the early, dark, dry days of an October Saturday evening, The neighborhood children out playing hide-and-seek. Oh, how long since I played hide-and-seek. 30 years or more, maybe. I remember how. I could become part of this game in a moment if I was invited. And he makes this wonderful point. He says, 
Well, you know, adults play hide-and-seek. Adults don't play hide-and-seek. Well, at least not for fun anyway. And that's too bad. Did you ever have a kid in your neighborhood who always hid so good that nobody could find him? Maybe you were that person. I remember growing up, we did. And after a while, we'd just give up on him and go off and keep playing and, and leave him to rot wherever he was, <laughs> you know? I mean, as far as I know, one of those kids might still be out there. But we would go and we'd all yell about who made the rules and who cared about who. And anyway, we wouldn't sometimes play with him anymore because we said, this is about hide and seek. And he says, well, I'm not supposed to give myself up. Yeah, but you're at least supposed to. I mean, we got to be able to find you. Have you ever known someone that hid from you stuff in their life? Robert Fulgham tells this story about a man who uh, come down with cancer, and he wouldn't tell his family, never told his family he got cancer, ended up dying, and never his family never knew that he had cancer and was dying. In his life celebration, everybody talked about how wonderful it was, how strong, how caring. But in the background, his family was very angry that he would actually hide something so important from them that he didn't trust their strength and their ability to love him through it and to walk with him through it. It hurt them that they didn't have the time to really say a good goodbye. He hid it too well. hide-and-seek grown-up style, wanting to hide, needing to be sought, confused about being found. I don't really want to know anyone. I don't want anyone to know me. What will people think? I don't want to bother anybody. That's the adult game, isn't it? I'll come back to that in just a minute. That's one of the reasons the Bible is so important because the Bible, loved ones, is the story about all of us. And we're telling some of the stories that are being the the focal point for this epic made-for-TV miniseries called The Bible. And I encourage you to watch it. Our prayer, my prayer, is that at the end of this 30-day experience, at the end of the month, we'll see these stories from the Bible like never before because we'll see how they tie into our story. You'll gain a better appreciation for God's redemptive work and plan for mankind through Jesus Christ, where you'll be able to see it threaded throughout the scriptures, even as Christopher started talking about it two weeks ago from Genesis 3, about the mess that started back then. And then we'll experience greater insight into God's love for yourself. Today's story is in Joshua chapter 2. I invite you to turn there if you brought your Bibles. It's the story of Rahab. It's a beautiful gem, somewhat obscured in the first couple chapters of the book of Joshua because there's so many dramatic things that take place and happen in the book of Joshua. This is one of my favorite Old Testament books. It talks about leadership. It talks about God's redemption. It talks about his care for his people, leading them into a new and promised land. In many ways, Rahab's story is my story. Oh, it's your story. And 
for some of you may not know the background to this story, so let me just kind of quickly just give you a few bullets. God's people had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. He had led them through the Red Sea, and they'd parted. Then through their disobedience and their lack of faith, what should have taken them 12 days to get to where God had called them to go, it literally took them 40 years as they wandered in the Sinai wilderness and desert for 40 years because of a lack of faith to do what God said and disobedience. I mean, they just kind of went around the same mountain until finally a whole generation died off because these people were complainers. They could find everything wrong, and then they would blame God and blame people instead of being conquerors. It was during this time of wandering that you probably remember they received God's law, and they did come together as a nation, but they were still nomads. And so now we come to the book of Joshua, where what God had promised them years before, I've got a land for you. It's a land flowing of milk and honey with the idea. It's beautiful. It's going to be like an oasis to you, and it's going to be where you're going to live forever in terms of my promise your heritage. But their deliverance was not yet complete as they waited to enter the land that God had promised them and would be theirs. But in order for that to happen, they would have to take on and conquer one of the the largest cities known at that time, the most fortified. The place was called Jericho. You'll see there in this clip, it's the two spies that Joshua sent to check out the city. And after being caught, basically, they find this gal named Rahab. Well, what's interesting about Rahab is she's a prostitute. And yet she's the very ones that hides these men of God who are checking out the city because they're getting ready to come and to attack it. It's a fortified city that was considered impregnable at the time. And so they had to go and find out what was our strategy going to be and how we're going to attack it. As I said earlier, this is Rahab's story, but it's also part of your story and my story. I want you to follow along in Joshua chapter 2. Verses one, we'll start with verses 1 through 3. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab. Now, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men, they have come here tonight uh, to to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. They, uh, our stories, her stories, it's true, they all have a very tough beginning. What do you mean, Terry? Well, Jericho was the world's oldest known fortified city considered impregnable. I mean, it was a strategic point of attack for God's people. As, 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 as they defeated that city, it would have made the front page, the headlines of USA Today, Wall Street Journal. It would have been all over that region because this was the supreme being of the land at the time. By defeating them, it would have made it very clear that people would have feared God's people. Everybody around would have gone, oh, man, we're roadkill. We're dead. We're going to die. If, if, if they could defeat Jericho, they could take on anybody. 
Now, doesn't it seem interesting to you that Rahab, doesn't she seem like a strange heroine? Think about it. I mean, it's not the best introduction to her story. Prostitute. Hooker. Hussy. Whatever word you want to use, you can't dress it up. Harlot. But what you're going to see here, loved ones, is another expression of God's amazing grace that we so often lose sight of in dealing with people around us. Now, it's probably an understandable choice from the spy's point of view to go to her. Think about it. A good amount of, a good amount of male traffic probably would have gone in and out of the house, so two men going in wouldn't have been a big surprise. That would have been the norm and not raised too much suspicion. The location of her house on the city wall made it easier for them to escape, as you saw. They could just go out the window and, with a rope, go down the wall. But her story intrigues me. The byline, she's a prostitute. Your, my, our, our story is, well, it's not really like that, is it? We're not prostitutes. But how would you like that to be your biography starts out, Rahab, the prostitute. That your story would be preserved like hers so everybody knew, well, maybe you're not a prostitute, but the bad stuff that's happened in your past. Truth is, that's our story. It just doesn't get exposed like hers. What do you mean? Well, you know, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, it says this, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Notice the word there in your notes. It's all, not some, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it gets worse. As Pastor Chris talked a couple weeks ago from Genesis chapter 3, it's the beginning. It's where the fall of man came. Because one man sinned. One family sinned. We're all That's what courses through our veins from the time that we're born. It's the issue that has to be faced and turned from because it's ultimately, friends, what destroys us. Jesus said it this way in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's so easy for people, for each one of us to see our sin as more respectable than somebody else's, isn't it? We can sit here and kind of look at Rahab and go, oh, yeah, prostitute, kidding me. And yet before God, as we see, our sin is just as bad. Our gossip, our anger. Well, not mine. Um, No, I'm just kidding. It's righteous. Um, But don't we have a tendency to judge ourselves based on our intentions and others on their actions and behaviors? And what we're going to see is God takes this woman and builds this this wonderful story out of her life. Because, see, in the Bible, in this series, it is clear that our tough beginning is not the ultimate or the final story. There's another way in which Her story is true just like ours. Ours is similar to hers. And that's this, that they, our lives, always involve a choice. And that's what happened even with Rahab. 
our lives not only get a bad start, but through our lives, it always involves choices and always a key choice. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4 says this, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. What woman? Rahab, the prostitute. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. So at nightfall, when the gate was about to close, the men went out. And I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly and you can catch up with them. Eh, She's kind of lying here. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. And the men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as they left to pursue them, the gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and she said to them, Get what she says. Hear her language, her vocabulary about their God. This is important. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the dread of you has fallen on us, who? Our family, city of Jericho. Everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And that when you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings that you completely destroyed across the Jordan. Verse 11, when we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, just a little sidebar here. See, everybody can hear the same story, but not everybody necessarily responds the same way. This whole city was shut up and shut down, basically, because they'd heard of these great things that God had done. But as we're going to see, there's only one person in one family that responds. She says, now swear to me, please, by the Lord, that you will also show kindness to my family, because I show kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, all of whom belong to and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us this land. It's easy to read a story like this without fully appreciating it, but Rahab faces an incredible decision here. She could have turned the spies away. She could have turned them in. She didn't have to help them. She could have saved her own life. But the safe choice probably would have been to stay out of the line of fire. But what does she do? She was given the choice between serving God or starting to serve God and do it his way or to stay with her country. And she says, I'm going to serve God. I wonder if there wasn't something deeper operating in Rahab's life too. I wonder if she wasn't just tired of the status quo of her life. I wonder if she was ready to be somewhere else, maybe to be someone else. Maybe even some of you are here today where the status quo, frankly, it isn't working. You're open to be somewhere else in your life. You're open to be someone else. Maybe you're ready to be freed from some things of your past. See, the God of the Bible, our God is a God who specializes in setting captives free. That's what he did with Joseph in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. He raised up Joseph to keep, to to set his 
people free. He raised up Moses in the book of Exodus to set his people free. Joshua sends spies to gather intelligence on Jericho for this coming battle so that they can enter into God's promise for them. God has promises, loved ones, for all of us. See, these guys think they're going to spy on a land, but you know what ultimately happens? They become a witness of God's grace to this girl, to this woman, to this prostitute named Rahab. Can I tell you the same is true for you and I? See, we think we're contractors. We think we're bankers. We think we're school teachers. We think that we're artists. We think that we're retired. We think that fill in the blank with whatever you do with your life. We think that that's what we do. Can I tell you something? That's not what you are all about. God disguises you. He disguised them as a spy. He disguises you as a police as a police person, puts that uniform of a policeman on you. He disguises you as a teacher, and he puts you strategically in these different places. Why? So that you can be his life, his hand, his heart, his words extended to those people in your relational orbit. These guys went in as spies, but soon they realized they were, they were witnesses to the God of the universe. And loved ones, we can never forget that's our ultimate calling. Wherever you are placed, you become a witness to the God of the universe, to the people around you. Think about it. Rahab, the prostitutes in Jericho, they've heard about the greatness of God. What has she become? She's a wonderful example of a hungry soul looking for something more. Can I tell you something? God has her address. Not to condemn her, not to point his finger, not to look at her and go, you little hussy harlot. Well, we would do that, some of us. But no, he has her address because she knows she's got an empty seeking heart, and he wants to come and give her grace and to give her a higher purpose and ultimate meaning for living. He sees her desire. He sees her openness to something more, the need for something greater in her life. She's a woman. She's empty, but what is she doing? She's selling herself out in the most intimate areas of her life. She's heard something, but she's unsure where to go for the answer. So what does God do? He sends a couple of spies to her. God knows. God comes to her in the form of two spies, just like he did in the New Testament. Remember the Samaritan woman? She's at the well, and Jesus comes up, and he's tired, and he wants to have a happy meal, so he sends the the. The, the disciples in and, you know, give me a filet of fish and a large fries and a Diet Coke. And so they go off and Jesus sits down and talks with this Samaritan woman. And she's shocked that a, a rabbi, a Jewish man, would even talk to her. But he begins to speak to her in the deepest recesses of our heart. And what does he quickly do? He reveals to her, you know something, honey? You're not real happy, are you? You've been divorced four times. And now you're, now you're living with another guy. 
And all of a sudden, they have this dynamic spiritual discussion that begins to speak deep to her soul. And what does she do? She runs into town, and she says, imagine what the people are thinking, because she said, there's a man out there that told me everything about me. And probably some of those people said, well, we could tell you everything about you too. We know your story. But what's amazing is that she tells them, and everybody runs out, and they hear Jesus. And it starts a revival. Why? Because Jesus had her address. He made a decision to go through Samaria. And he said, I'm really not that hungry. You guys go ahead. God knows. Just like Jesus did with this guy. Top drawer, well healed, financially well off. But this guy, he was short. So he'd probably been pushed around in life, and he probably climbed the ladder to be able to get to where he was. He was a tax collector, well off, probably had a two-camel garage, probably overlooked the Sea of Galilee, but he wasn't fulfilled. So what does he do? There's something in his heart that says, I got to see Jesus. And so he takes off, and, and he, he runs, and he's not hoping that Jesus is going to see him, but he climbs up in this tree. I mean, imagine, it's like a banker. You know, it's like, this, like a guy in a suit climbing up in this tree. And he just says, I just got to see Jesus. And Jesus is walking by. And all of a sudden, he's looking at Jesus. And Jesus looks up <laughs> and says, come on down here, buddy. He says, I'm coming to your house today for lunch. See, Jesus had his address. Isn't that our story? Some of you are sitting here today because you know you were missing something. There was a lack of fulfillment in your life. And maybe you come to church or you watch the TV. I don't know. But something sparked. And all of a sudden you realize Jesus has my address. Rahab, the name Rahab comes from the Hebrew root meaning that means wide space rooming. I wonder if it's not illustrative of an empty heart, wide open to whatever, prostitution, selling myself, giving my, I don't know, but it's a powerful picture of so many in the Bible, isn't it? Rahab, the harlot, the Samaritan woman who's empty and unfulfilled by numerous relationships, Zacchaeus, money couldn't fill and fulfill him. Though she's a harlot, She was the first and only person besides her family in Jericho to acknowledge that there was a God who was greater than any other God they'd ever seen. Even though she was entrenched in a pagan culture, trapped in her own sins, she heard of something and she was open to the truth that was greater than what she had heard before, a God bigger than she'd known. And so what happens? God sends people to her. Her openness resulted uh, in in her life being spared because as we're going to see in a few minutes, all of Jericho would fall because she was open to this great God that she heard about from the spies. She was going to be spared. Let me ask you something. Who in your relational orbit, loved ones? It's like a Rahab that maybe you'd look at and go, I'll never respond. Man, then the depths of sin there is just too much. And yet God's put you there. He's disguised you as whatever you are. Maybe you're disguised as a neighbor, but what you really are is an ambassador 
for Jesus. You are the hands, the heart, and the life of Jesus extended to those people around you. Because this is the God that has set so many of us free who wants to set others free from our own sin, our own destructive ways. But he won't do it without our consent. Can I remind you of something? Life doesn't give you what you deserve. Life will give you what you settle for. And so many people settle for so much less than God has for them. And like Rahab, each of us will face a decision. Will we choose sin or will we choose salvation? Will we choose our selfish way or will we choose God's way? And this is the overriding theme that is threaded throughout the tapestry of Scripture. That's why we're doing this series, because everything focuses on God's redemptive, gracious love for humanity. Yeah, even a prostitute. Just anybody that's open, that will listen, that will respond. It's been said there's three C's in life. Choices, chances, and changes. Someone said it this way, you must make a choice to take a chance to make a change. That is so true. Now hear me, with God, it really isn't a chance, but it is stepping out in faith to allow him to bring something new to your present that will be eternal for your future. But everybody like Rahab has to make a choice, and that choice will ultimately bring faith that will bring a change to your life. This is important because there's one more part of Rahab's story that becomes part of your story and my story as well. And that's this, that we are marked by a couple of things. Let me read a couple more scriptures. Starting in verse 15 says this. Then she let them down, the two spies, by a rope through the window since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. She says to them, go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you. She said to them, hide yourselves there for three days until they return. Afterwards, go on your way. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us. Uh, excuse me. Then she said to the, uh, then the men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone does not, if anyone goes out the doors of your house, his blood will be on his head, and he will be innocent, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his blood will be on our heads. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. He's basically saying, if you do these things, follow our plan, you'll be all right. couple things that mark our lives, friends. Rahab's story is the story of a prostitute who faced a choice. These guys, these two spies says this, I want you to set down a scarlet cord. You can't escape the picture. The Old Testament is typology. So much of it points one way, and that's to Jesus Christ's coming. It's, It's blood red. He says, hang it outside the city wall. Prostitutes in that day 
would often paint their windowsills a bright red to let people know that this is where a, a place of ill repute could be found. As she hangs this cord, now picture it, what is it? It's becoming a red cross. And see, everything, loved ones, in the Bible, from Genesis 3 to the end, talks about the blood of Jesus Christ that covers and removes. John, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that removes all sin from our lives. She's making a declaration, a public declaration here, that she's a follower of this God. And what we learn is the cross always saves us from destruction because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Some of you might remember how this story ends in Joshua. If you turn to Joshua chapter 6, we're going to read it. Remember how the Israeli army, the God's people, they were to surround the city and march around it every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they were going to march around it seven times. Remember that? What happened? Well, here, let's read about it. Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. So the people shouted, the trumpets sounded after going around. When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the people gave a great shout, and the wall collapsed. The people advanced into the city, each man ahead, and they captured the city. Get this, they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man and woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. Some people have said, oh boy, this, after the first week, man, this is so violent. They lived in violent times. And people will say, well, man, how could God do that to a city like this? Well, first of all, these are people that need to be extracted from God's promised land. And hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. This is important to communicate with people. This is the, one, one of the ultimate expressions of God's grace. It isn't about being good because the person that responds is a prostitute. And every other person in Jericho could have responded to the same grace, to the same message that she knew. But they didn't. They rejected. Therefore, God said, I have to bring judgment. It's the same message that we deal with today and will ultimately deal with as well. People hear the same message. But ultimately, God will bring judgment in the end of days. But until then, his grace is boundless. Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, go to the prostitute's house. <laughs> How sweet is that? I mean, it's like God just says, I just want you to, I want to underscore what she's all about because I want you to see my grace at work. And he says, and bring the woman out of there and all who were with her just as you promised her. So the young men who had scouted went in. They brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought her out of the whole family, and they settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned up the city and everything in it, and they put the silver and the gold, the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her because she hid the men that Joshua uh, had sent to spy on Jericho and the lives in Israel to this day. What a great story. She was saved by what? A choice. A 
choice to protect God's people and a choice to put this little scarlet cord hung outside her wall. Here, you may not know this about Rahab. She not only found a place of acceptance among God's people at this time, she became the great-grandmother of King David. That's quite a journey, isn't it? From Rahab the prostitute, but get this. You'll read her name in Matthew chapter 1 of Jesus' genealogy. Because Jesus' genealogy really starts with King David. And Rahab is part of that genealogy. And the beautiful thing is, is God's not ashamed of it. He says, yep, yep, that's my girl, little Rahab. She's an incredible trophy of my grace. Can I just tell you something, loved one? That's our story. Fortunately, ours isn't spread across the pages of Scripture that's going to last for how many thousands of years. But we all have stuff because we're all sinners. Let me remind you of two things as we close. On your table is a red thread and a red yarn. I want you to just take each one of you to take one. I did a talk on a few years ago about the red thread that runs throughout Scripture. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this, When the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son, Jesus, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. We have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. Why? Because we were slaves of sin. No matter how bad, listen, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how hopeless your situation, every one of us can experience freedom in Jesus Christ. Every one of us. And every person that you know, and every person that you've given up on, and every person you think could never experience it. Yeah. You're a spy sent to them. And this red thread today tells us that we can be set free, that we are accepted, listen, by what God has done through Jesus Christ. This is the thread through Scripture. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. The heart, the core of our message, loved ones, is Jesus pronounced it with crystal clarity of his redeeming love because of his life, death, and resurrection that we celebrate this month. His redemptive plan and purposes for our lives. I don't know about you, but it's, you know, we still think, God, prostitute. There's a great scripture in Jeremiah chapter 15. It says this. That God told Jeremiah, you can be my spokesman if you do this. If you will take the vile and extract the valuable out of it. That's what Jesus did here. He took the vial of a prostitution and he ex- of a prostitute and he extracted the value out of it. Can I tell you something? He does that with every one of us sitting in this room today. Because really, God only uses broken sinners. 
because the people that don't think they have any problems and issues, they'll never be used because they'll be too religious. They'll know too much. But God always extracts the valuable out of the vile. So that scarlet thread, I, I put it in my Bible. I still have one from a few years ago that I put in my Bible symbolizes the core and the heart of the message that is threaded throughout the pages of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, this message that is of hope to the world, that Jesus Christ and his work on the cross on behalf of every person is what saves us. That is the message, friends, of Easter. But there's a second statement that I want you to be aware of, and you'll see this red cord or this red Yarn. This is about Rahab. All of Jericho knew the same things that she knew, what God had done for Israel. Everybody was afraid, but only one responded, and one family responded. That was Rahab's. Guess what? The red cord reminds us, the red thread reminds us what God has done for us. The red yarn reminds us that every one of us has to make a choice. That's what That's what Rahab had to do. If she wouldn't have hung her red cord, guess what? She would have died with the rest of Jericho. But she said, I'm going to put my faith in your God. And because of that, she lived. Rahab had to choose. The book of Joshua, you'll see it on your notes there. Joshua, at the end of his life, He's ready to die, and this is what he says. Throughout his life, at the end, he says, but as for me and my household, we choose. We will serve the Lord. Loved ones, that's a decision that we have to make every day. God loves you. He loves me enough to call to us, to come for us. And we get to see what he has done. It's not about me. It's not about you, but it's about him and what he's done. It's about his grace, his amazing grace. But hear me, look at me. Every one of us has to choose. You you don't get it just by coming to church. You get it because you say, I will apply Christ's life. I will receive it. There'll be a day when we all stand before God. There's not going to be this mass spiritual ledger where Jesus pulls out a heavenly calculator and adds up all your points for and points against to determine how you get into heaven or not. There's not some kind of heavenly curve. It's a decision, one decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? Will you choose to trust in what he's done, not what you've done? All have sinned. There's some big, bad-time boy and girl sinners. There's some spectacular sinners. And there's a whole lot of boring sinners. But we've all missed God's best. But in love, he has made a way. Question for every one of us is that in the end, that matters to you that you choose God. Back to my story of hide-and-seek. Robert Fulgham tells the rest of the story. He says there's another version of hide-and-seek. It's a game called sardines. In sardines, one person goes and hides, and everybody else 
goes looking for that one. And when you find him, you get in with him and you hide there with him. Pretty soon, everybody is hiding together, all stacked in a small space like little puppies in a pile. And pretty soon, somebody giggles and somebody laughs. And guess what happens? Everybody gets found. Ancient theologians used to describe God in hide-and-seek terms. They called him dos absconditus, which means the God who hides himself. But I think God's probably more into sardines than he is hide-and-seek. Why is that? Because you know how most people are found? It's because they see and hear the joy and the laughter of a Christ follower that no matter what they're going through, they can still speak of the greatness and the grandeur of their God. And so when they come to a time like this, they hear our joy, they see our joy. We all know we're all going through different things, but we're kind of like a bunch of sardines, aren't we? We get to come together and rejoice and celebrate. We're not going to nitpick. We're not going to complain. We're not going to bellyache. We're not going to pick apart the Bible series, we're going to celebrate and laugh and be thrilled that almost 15 million people saw it. We're just going to be a bunch of sardines that go out there and we joyfully give the message. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'm so glad that you chose a prostitute. It's really easy for me to look at myself and go, I'm a pastor, not a prostitute. But if I look deeply and if I look close enough, I quickly see that there's a lot of junk in my life that you've taken care of and still have to. And I pray, Lord, that you'd never let me forget that. Because the day that I forget that, I will begin to miss that not everybody is where they should be. And I'll look down on them instead of looking after them to help them come to you. So thank you, Lord, for this reminder. that you pursue all of us. And loved ones, I just I want to challenge you today. Some of you are called. All of us are called, if we know Christ, to go out there. We're undercover for Christ. But we need to share his love. If there's anybody here today and you've never responded to Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to do a simple act. If you know Jesus, I invite you to do this too. But if you've never made a commitment to Jesus, I invite you to take that yarn and say today, Jesus, as an act of faith, I'm taking this yarn and I'm going to carry it with me as a reminder that I choose you today. And I'm going to ask you to do something pretty bold as well. I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to ask you to let us know on a connections card so that we can just send you a note that we're praying for you and we can pray for you this week. That if you pick up that yarn and you take it with you, 
because you're either making a first-time commitment or a recommitment to this God who loves you, no matter where you are, whether you're a prostitute or you think you're something really hot, but that you'd let us know by filling out a connection slip so we can pray for you this week. And then I challenge you to look to get baptized. Come Easter, take that next step of celebration. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this incredible congregation that I have the privilege of being able to lead. Let us never forget that every day we get to choose, we need to choose you, your ways, your life, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Go forth, pick up your extra hour of nap today. The Lord bless you and keep you. Shine his face upon you. Greet a few people before you go. You're loved. Have a great day.